This morning's scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindles, swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. The Word of God, let us pray. Most gracious God, Lord, we uh, thank you for your words as they flowed through Paul's hands, Lord, and we look at them this morning and we just ask that your spirit would reveal your meaning to us, Lord, that we would understand them in a new way and more than anything that we would apply them and apply them to our lives for your glory. Father, I pray that the words I speak be not of me, but be glorifying unto you and of your spirit. In Christ's name, amen. So we come this morning to a very eye-opening passage in this sixth chapter of the book of 1 Corinthians, and it uh, causes us to look at some different things. And as you've heard me say many times is life, and especially the Christian life, is about keeping things in tension. And when I, when I say the word tension or use the word tension, I, I refer to moderation. I think anything in excess can lead to problems and we have to keep things in tension and view things in moderation in order to have a proper perspective of things, of life, of everything that we do. There are times when we allow ourselves to venture into those extremes and when we allow ourselves to venture into those extremes, usually bad things happen. And uh, we have to try to avoid those types of times that we venture out into those areas. There are people that look at the world differently. There are those that look at the world as if it is ending. As if the Winnie the Pooh, the sky is falling type of mentality. And those of you that are familiar with that... They thought the sky was actually falling only to find out that it was in fact a thunderstorm and that that difficult time passed. But there are those who see every day that there is no hope or they look at life as if there is no hope, that woe is me, that I'm never going to experience anything that's wonderful or good or everything bad is always what happens to me is that mentality these folks are hopeless virtually all of the time they are so gripped by fear at every turn that they cannot function it is a sad life that they find themselves in they see everything in the physical world as being terrible, and they also view the spiritual world in much the same way. That they are the worst sinners, and there's no way that God could ever forgive them for anything, nor could they ever have a relationship with God. They are deceived, and they are being deceived every day that they find themselves in that space. We know that's not the case, right? We know that not to be the truth per God's word, that Jesus is our hope, that he is our eternal hope. And for those of us who are in him, 
glorious things await, even though we may have moments in this life that may seem dark, we know that will pass and that the sun will shine. We who believe in Jesus are promised a glorious future, more glorious than anything we can ever imagine in this life. But yet there are those that have the other extreme. We've seen the dark extreme, now we we look at the other extreme, this, this thought that the sky is always blue, that there are never any clouds that come into our lives. They, they become lulled into this false belief that there will be no tragedy, no pain, no suffering, that difficult times aren't coming my way. During the good times, they get lulled into this thought process that they're always going to be good. That we're going to live forever on this peak and this mountain that we're on. That the valleys aren't going to come. They refuse to recognize the warning signs, even though we try to tell them. They refuse. It was this type of attitude that many of the people had in the 1920s. Probably don't have anyone in here that can recall that. But nonetheless, it was a wonderful period in the history of the United States. It was the first time that the average man or woman was able to invest money and make a whole lot of money by investing it. So wealth before that time had been isolated to just a few people but now during this time in the 20s the average ordinary person could take their money and invest it and become extremely wealthy and they started doing this to the extent that they actual actually borrowed money it's called borrowing on margin they took borrowed money from the banks and invested all of that into the market Now, the banks would let you do it at that time because all you had to do was pony up 10% of what that stock was worth, and they used that stock as collateral. And they thought that this was going to go on forever. There was going to be no end to this. Well, you see, it created an artificial inflation in these companies. They really weren't worth what the stock said they were worth. And so the government stepped in and they they stopped or they raised interest rates to stop this borrowing and, 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 and spending on margin because they realized that there was going to be a price to pay. And all the banks had loaned all this money based on what the stock was worth or what they thought that these businesses were worth. Well, when people stopped investing because they couldn't afford to pay the interest on the money anymore, then the bank was left with a whole lot of nothing, right? The bank had hung itself out there and, and, and allowed all these borrowers to take all this money, invest it into something that was not really worth what they thought it was, and so they were left with nothing. Banks collapsed. All those people during that time period who thought there would be no valley were wrong. And so the most or the greatest depression in the history of this country began, 1929. And it wasn't until the 50s that the stock market actually came back to the point that it was at 19, I think it was in August 
or September of 1929. They had a false sense of security that bad times were never coming. That we don't really have to look out for a decrease in stock prices because they just keep going up. And it seems like every 30 or 40 years, people develop this mentality. The sky's always blue, the stock market's always going to raise or be on the rise or increase. Always be a bull market. But that's not the reality. They've painted themselves into a false sense of security. Unfortunately, this happens not only in the stock market, but in a lot of areas of our lives. We become infatuated with this idea of good times. And ah, that'll never happen. Can't happen. Whether it be the physical world or even the spiritual world. And we see this type of attitude in the church at Corinth as we look at that this morning. And so Paul is giving them a warning, an admonition. Last week we saw where he told them, don't, don't sue each other because you're trying to defraud each other. You're actually trying to steal from each other within the church of Corinth. And we've seen that they, they were doing all types of things to each other. And Paul says, you're brothers and sisters in Christ. You're a family. You should be acting like a family, not acting like the world. In verse 9 he says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither will the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality. He says, you're all practicing unrighteous behavior. You're, you're acting like the world. You're acting like the world. And he's saying, do you not know that people who do these things will not receive eternal life? Can you not understand that? Now, the problem and what got these folks into trouble was something that I hold very dear, and I hope you all do as well. They believed that they were saved by God's grace and only by God's grace. That they weren't saved on what they did. Wonderful principle. Very sound theological reasoning. That is true. But then they went a step too far and went on to say, well, if I am truly saved by God's grace and not by what I do, then why does it matter, right? I'm going to do anything that my evil tendencies desire and I'm going to continue to be saved. Right? They were abusing the grace of God. Paul gives them a wake-up call here. A shot across the bow, so to speak. He wants them to change their actions. He wants them to change their behavior. He tells them, people who are doing what you are doing are not Christians. They're not saved. As he wrote in Romans 5, do we continue to sin that grace may abound? And the answer was obvious, may it never be. Their mentality was, nothing bad will ever happen to us. Nothing bad will ever happen to us because we believe in Jesus. Then in the second part here, verse 9, Paul explains to them what has happened. You've been deceived. 
He tells them, do not be deceived. So there is deception that's going on within this congregation. You have been lied to. You've been lied to. Someone has told you and you are believing that you can go on acting as an unbeliever and everything will be fine. That there will be no judgment. That God will not judge you. They wanted to be deceived somewhere deep down because they wanted to be able to do the things that that sinful flesh that remained within them was prone to. Anyone ever knew anybody that was told what they wanted to hear? We all have, right? Well, so telling the Corinthians that, look, you can do all of these things and you'll be fine was exactly what they wanted to hear. So they readily believed that. We tend to believe things that we want to hear more so than things we don't because sometimes the truth is rather hard pill to swallow. Amen? Well, Paul's given them a good dose of truthfulness in this passage. This notion of being deceived is a common theme throughout the Bible and throughout the New Testament. Galatians chapter 6. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Don't be duped. Was Paul's encouragement to these folks in Corinth, at Corinth. Whatever you sow, you're going to reap. If you sow in sin, you're going to reap judgment. If you sow in the Spirit, you're going to reap eternal life. 2 Corinthians 11.3 Again, writing to the same church. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. So he goes all the way back to the beginning here, right? We go all the way back to Genesis and he says, the serpent deceived Eve. How did the serpent deceive Eve? You're fine. I know they tell you this God, you say, tells you that if you eat of this, you're going to die, but you're not going to die. It's not going to happen to you. Just eat. She did not believe God. In fact, she was deceived. She really wanted to eat it anyway, right? We know she looked at it, and the longer she looked at it, the better it looked to her. And so all it took was the serpent to say, you're not going to die. Like, okay, I'm in. The serpent told her what she desired to hear anyway. And so she was already bent toward believing that. And all she needed was just a little bit of encouragement, and boom, there it was. She ate, and then she got the hard dose of reality. You're going to die. The truth was from God. She had this mentality that her actions would not have the consequences that God warned her of. And mankind is bent that way. I deal with people every day that do not make the connection between their actions and consequences. 
We do things, but we don't want the consequences of what we do. Well, I'm sorry. That's not the way life is. Actions have consequences, and they do so with God as well as man. Ephesians 5, 5 and 6 For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Don't be duped. Don't be deceived. Don't be misled. The wrath of God comes upon disobedience. Thus saith the word of God. Anyone who tells you otherwise is attempting to deceive you. They are attempting to deceive you. And as I said, make no mistake, we are easily deceived. And you may think, no, I'm not. But we are. The Corinthians were easily deceived because part of that sinful old man that was in their past still lived within them. Not fully, but a part of it. Remember Paul talking about O wretched man that I am, who will free me from this body of death that is attached to me? That battle. So we are twisted. We are bent with the desire to enjoy and like sin in the beginning. So if you take that natural bend, that natural tilt towards sin, and then couple it with others telling you, you're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. You're not going to die. God's not going to judge you. That's all a bunch of nonsense by a bunch of people trying to control you. Oh, yeah, that sounds good because I'm already wanting to do what it is I'm naturally bent to do. All I need is a little bit of encouragement. That's how we justify it. That's what leads us into being deceived. It sounded so good to them that they didn't even want to think twice about it. They didn't want to question it. They didn't want to stop and think, hmm, is this true? Is this really okay? Is it all right for me to do these types of activities and act this way? It was sort of like the people in the 20s. Go and borrow all the money that you can, invest it all, and you'll be rich. Don't worry about it. Nothing's going to happen. The sky's always blue. I mean, after all, the market hasn't fallen in the past 15 years. It's never going to fall. Do not be deceived, there in verse 9. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Paul gives us a laundry list of people who will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Now I'm assuming he just didn't pull this list out of the air. I'm assuming that the folks in the church at Corinth fit into one of these groups in some way. 
He wanted to point out these sins because they were applicable to his readers. I think they're applicable to us. They're applicable to everybody. Unfortunately, the Corinthians had been duped, had been lied to, had been deceived into believing that these types of activities are fine. That God doesn't really have a problem with them. That you can do any of these and you're good. The outside world was telling those inside the church that and it became so obvious that before long everybody in the church believed the same thing. That it's okay. Steal from your neighbor. Be greedy. Be an idolater. Do all types of sexually immoral activities. It's okay. God's forgiving. He's going to let it slide. Paul said, no! He's not going to let it slide. People who do these things die and go to hell. End of story. They were being deceived. They were being lied to. They were being duped. They were suckers. You might think, well, I couldn't fit that group. Be careful. As I said, there is a clear and present danger for us all of being deceived. We want to justify our sinfulness. We want to justify our activities. Therein becomes the issue for us. If we aren't always on guard, then we become the Corinthians. If we don't stop and listen to what we hear, then we become deceived. We become duped. We become the suckers who are in serious danger. Paul then tells them, and such were some of you, but you were washed. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So he says, some of you fit this group of people that I just talked about. Now, I don't think he's saying that some of them, being just a few of them, were in that group at one time. I think we're all in that group at some point in time before we know Christ. But he's saying some of you were in it, meaning some of you came out of that group in that now you know Christ. So I think that's his use of the word some there. Some don't know Christ and they're still in those groups. Even though the ones that were in the group weren't in the group now. They were still acting like those that were in the group. And that's a problem. That's a big problem. But then he goes on to tell them, you're different. You're different. You're different because of Jesus. You've been washed. You've been cleaned, you've been sanctified, you've been declared not guilty. And yet after that washing and cleansing and being declared not guilty, you're going to jump right back into that type of activity? 
Again, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? May it never be. No. That's not what we do when we love Christ, when He is our treasure, when He is the very reason we breathe. You've not been declared just and not guilty in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and through the Spirit of God just so you can go back and become that person again. You are a new creation. You have been born again. And he tells them this to shame them. You know, when you were, you were a kid and, and your mom and dad, you did something to disappoint them and they said, that's not who you are. Right? And that, that's the same type of reason he's using here with the church at Corinth. He, that's not you. You're not those people. You're different. He shames them. He shames them in an attempt to bring them to repentance so that they see, no, you know what, you're right. That's not who I am. That's, that, that's not what defines me. I am a child of Christ and I should be acting accordingly. I am going to repent from my activities and move forward in Christ. You might ask, if they have been saved, as Paul says that some of them have been, why does it really matter what they do? Why does it matter? Well, first, and I'm not going to chase this rabbit hole, we're all going to be judged to some extent on our actions. Nobody's going to escape that. But number two, and I think most importantly, so that we can know and have confidence in our salvation. That, that's a critical part of being saved, is to be able to know and have confidence in our eternity, in our eternity, in our salvation. If we are saved, but we continue down the path like somebody who's not, we have absolutely no confidence in our eternal life. You have no idea. It's just as likely and perhaps more likely that you were never saved in the begin with, to begin with. As John wrote, they went out from us because they never were of us. 2 Peter 1.10 Therefore, brothers, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. If you're acting like an unbeliever, you have no idea of what your calling is. If you practice the same activities as unbelievers, then you may very well be an unbeliever. The second reason, and Paul alludes to it here, or actually it's the third, don't diminish what Jesus did for you. Don't pollute his church. He didn't set us free, cleanse us, sanctify us, justify us, just so we jump back into that nasty pit. He saved us and set us apart for his great love or because of his great love for us. To set us free 
from the slavery to sin. A truly converted heart acts differently than an unconverted heart. That's just the reality of Christian life. We talked a couple weeks ago how God took out that heart of, what was it? Stone and put in a heart of flesh. They're different. They're different. Hearts of stone don't act the same as a heart of flesh. And that's what he's saying here. He's like, you folks who are supposed to have a heart of flesh are acting like people with hearts of stone. How do I know what lies within? I can't. He can't. We can't. So he asks, or I ask, what do we do with this? What, what do we take from this? It is clearly a shot across the bow, as I've said this morning. It is clearly a warning to the Corinthian church, to our church, to every church that has ever existed or ever will exist. I think we have to be constantly mindful of our or how easy it is for us to be duped into believing something that our sinful old man that still rears his ugly head from time to time wants to hear, right? Because there's a part of us that still is tempted by sin. And when someone tells us, it's okay. It's not going to affect anything with your relationship with God. You're good. Part of us enjoys to hear that and wants to hear that, and we believe it so easily. We have to be truthful with ourselves and knowing that, hey, I'm easily duped. I may very well fall for something like that. Rather than being so confident and self-assured that not going to happen to this guy, then who do you think is the first one's going to fall? This guy. This guy. Acknowledge that. Every day of our lives, that we have to be aware and on guard of the pitfalls of this life and the pitfalls that this life brings with it. We have to keep our guards up all the time. Never let our guards down. We avoid it to glorify God and we avoid it and guard against it so that we know where we are with Christ. That we have been set apart, we are different, saved by His grace, sanctified, and we will be glorified. Because without that confidence, being a Christian is all over the place. It's minute to minute. It's never having any confidence at all if God takes me in the next five minutes where I'll end up. That's miserable. And that's the beauty that God gives us of what God gives us when we stay in Him. The beauty of the confidence of knowing that if He takes me right now, I spend eternity with Him. End of story. Remember that we wear the banner of Christ. And we are to remember that we have been washed, we have been sanctified, we have been justified, and we will be glorified. Amen?
Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for these exhortations from you through Paul. As we look at them, Father, we sometimes can see ourselves as we get tempted in all different ways. Help us to know and acknowledge the fact, Lord, that our flesh is weak. But you are strong. We ask, Father, for your help in guarding ourselves so that we don't look like the church in Corinth, that we're set apart, that we're different, that everything that we do and say and act throughout a day or a week or whatever the time frame may be is to your glory. And Father, we just ask that you protect us, that you keep us near to you at all times so that we can have that confidence of knowing that when you call us home, when we draw our last breath, we will be in your presence with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And that as we look back at our lives, may it be glorious unto you. For it is in Christ's precious name we pray. Amen. All rise.